When you start a project and then you pause it halfway through, it can be difficult getting motivated to start again, especially when it's been a long time since you first started the project. Weeks have gone by, months have gone by, years have gone by. Uh, One of the reasons is because you forget about it. You forget that you intended to go back and finish that project, and you never did. And so kind of out of sight, out of mind, you you don't ever go re-engage with that project, so it just lays there. That's the situation in Haggai. If you weren't with us last week, uh, the, the people of God have come back from captivity in Babylon. They're beginning to uh, relocate back to Israel and to Jerusalem. And when they get back to Jerusalem, everything is in ruins, including the temple, the center of their spiritual life, the, the symbol of the presence of God with them. And so they make a start at rebuilding the temple, but then they get sidetracked. They, they face obstacles, and they kind of give up. They get tired Uh, They become fearful. Uh, They get distracted by their own comforts and pleasures and priorities, and so they get focused on themselves, and they forget the work that God had called them to do. And it, it sat unfinished, not just for a little while. It sat unfinished for 16 years before God sends a prophet by the name of Haggai who shows up and says, look, it's time to get back to work. But after 16 years, it can be difficult to get back to work. One of the reasons is you don't really remember where you left off and if you can even still use what you originally worked on. Like if you've ever started painting and then you got distracted and you got distracted for a week and it turned into a month and it turned into six months and it turned into a year and then finally... Your spouse says, we have to finish painting this so you get the paint back out, and you start painting, and then you realize, well, it's, it's a slightly different shade now. It had already faded, and I'm putting the new paint on now. Now do I have to repaint the whole thing? Or you lay the foundation, you put a little bit of a structure on it, and months, years go by, and then you come back and think, okay, can I still use this? Is it still safe? Has it rotted as it's been sitting here? All of these questions you have when you leave a project unfinished and then try to come back and start it up again. All of these questions probably had to be faced by the Israelites. And and, and think about it, 16 years, some of the people who started building the temple 16 years ago probably weren't even still around. They had probably passed away. Maybe some of the leaders who had gotten the the temple rebuilding started, they had passed away and they were kind of the head of it and now we don't know where to start or if we should tear this down and, and start back over. So God, when He challenges them to start rebuilding the temple, gets very specific with how they're supposed to begin rebuilding the temple. This is Haggai chapter 1. We're in verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, I don't know, but I kind of feel like this was God's way of saying to the people, you need to think about what you've done. Parents, you ever use that line? You you need to go to your room and think about what you've done. If you're a new parent, if you have plans of being a parent one day, you need to write that down because that's a magic phrase right there. You need to think about what you've done. Now, the truth is... Um, they didn't think about what they did before they did it. 
They're probably not going to figure it out afterwards, but it buys you some time, parents. That's the magic of the phrase. You send them to their room to think about what they've done, and that gives you time to figure out what you're going to say and how you're going to punish them and how you are going to deal with this whole mess. You need to think about what you've done. God says, you need need to think about what you've done. I, I think God wasn't stalling like parents do. God was saying, you need to remember that the way you did it last time didn't work. It didn't work. It was, a, it was a problem. It fell apart. It was a disaster last time. You need to think about what you've done because I don't want you to do it that way ever. I don't want you to make the same mistake. Give careful thought to your ways. And then God is going to tell them exactly what they need to do to restart this project. So I feel like everybody kind of leans forward. God's about to give us the instructions. And this is what God says Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. Have you ever? told your child to do something, given them an assignment, a chore, and your child said, I don't know how to do that. Go sweep the kitchen. I don't know how to do that. This is a broom. One hand goes here. One hand goes here, and you move it. That's how you do it. Go load the dishwasher. I don't know how to do it. Watch me. You go to the table. You pick up a plate. You rinse it a little bit so mom doesn't get mad. And then, this is the complicated part. You put it in the dishwasher. You're going to be amazed when I show you what to do with the cups. It's going to blow your mind. Now, you guys probably aren't sarcastic with your kids like I am with my kids. But that's kind of the way lessons go in my house. If you tell me you don't know how to do something that's pretty obvious how to do it, I'm going to go really slowly with you step by step to say this is what you do. Now, I don't think God is sarcastic in the way that I am. But here are God's instructions about rebuilding the temple. Here's what you do, because I know you're going to have questions. I know you're confused. I know this project is confusing you a little bit. Here's what you do. You go to the woods. You cut down a tree. You bring said tree back to Jerusalem. You work with that log until you've built as much as you can build with that log. You know what step two is? Well, might want to write this down. Step two, you go back to the woods. And you get another tree. And you bring it back. And you work with that log until you've finished working with that log. This isn't complicated, God says to his people. You don't need a big organizational meeting for this. You don't need to sit around and have a brainstorming session on how are we going to rebuild the temple. What you need to do is go to the woods and get a tree and bring the tree back and work with that tree 
until it's gone. And, and the temple's not going to magically appear when you get done with the first tree. That's not the way this is going to work. It's not going to magically appear when you get done with the first tree. You're going to have to go get another tree, and then you're going to have to go get another tree. And you're just going to repeat this process until there's a temple. We sometimes overcomplicate and overanalyze the things that God calls us to do. And most of the time, the things that God calls us to do begin with go to the woods, get a tree, and start working. Stop analyzing. Stop planning. Planning's good. There's time to plan, but at some point. You have to put the plans down, and you have to take the first step. Sometimes we get paralyzed by the big strategy of it all, the big idea of it all. It's just got to be this big temple. I know. You know how you get a big temple? You get one tree at a time, and you work. And you get one tree, and you work. And you get one tree, and you work. Maybe what we need It's not a big organizational plan. Maybe what we need is just to be obedient with the step that's right in front of us. The next thing that I need to do that will move me closer to what God has called me to do, maybe I just need to take that step and stop being so paralyzed by this big thing that I think I'm supposed to Accomplish. Here's what I want to do today. I want to give you what I see is God's project management strategy. God's overseeing this project. His project management strategy has three steps to it. Step number one is this. Take the first step. Take the first step. Take the obvious first step. Go to the woods. Get a tree. Come back. Work with that tree. That's the thing about big projects. Big projects all require small steps. Nobody finishes a big project all at once. You finish a big project because you did a series of really small steps that finished the project. You started with something simple and clear and exact. And then when you did that, you went to the next thing that was right in front of you, that was clear and exact. You just went and got a tree, you brought it back, and you worked with it. Practical example, um, some of us have a, a, a good goal, a noble goal, a right goal of getting out of debt. Well, we don't make any progress because getting out of debt seems to be this big overwhelming thing. Because we have credit card debt and then we have two car loans and then we have a personal loan that we took out and we have school loans and I have a mortgage and so debt It's not small steps. Debt is this huge thing. And the way you approach debt is you go to the woods, you get one tree, and you work with one tree. You you figure out which one of these can I pay off the quickest? Which do I owe the least on? How do I cut some things out of my expenses and start focusing on getting that one tree cut down so that then I can go to the next tree, and then I can go to the next tree? That's the way getting out of debt works. It's not some big, huge, one-time thing. It's I'm going to be obedient with a series of small steps. We talk about foster care often in our church like we did this morning. 
And some of us have heard it. Some of us have heard about what Michael Giddens is doing at Four Winds. Some of us have heard about what Pam Paris is doing at Connection Homes. Some of us have heard from families who are with UH4C. Some of us have heard from families that foster through defects. Uh, we see them in the hallway. And for some of us, we've thought for years, I probably should look into that. I probably should think about it. I probably should do that. But foster care is this big thing, and it's complicated, and, and there's legal ramifications, and, and some people have bad experiences, and then there's the courts, and there's the system. and there's. What if you just went to the woods and got a tree and brought it back? What if you just said, I'm going to go to an informational meeting? Because that, that would be step one. That would be the first step. I'm going to go to an informational meeting. I'm going to see what God puts on my heart. I'm going to invite a foster care couple out to dinner. And I'm going to just talk to them. I'll just get their feedback, get their input. I'm going to sit down with Pam. I'm going to take Michael to lunch. And I'm going to ask, what do you need? How can I help you? How can I resource you? How can I be a giver to your organization? Take David Hennessy out to tell me what's happening at CAFO. Right? Just... Go get one tree, bring it back. Instead of trying to do this big, huge thing, I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we get lost in the big, huge thing and we never do anything. Because we never think big projects are just a series of small steps until I get the big project done. Because we're so paralyzed by the big project, we never get anything done. Some of you, you, you want to be involved in some sort of ministry or you want to have influence over people or you want to spiritually mentor people. Take the first step. Go to the woods, get a tree and do something. Get, get with Jennifer and ask her how you can serve in children's ministry. Where do you need me? How can I influence the lives of elementary and preschoolers? Go to Jono. Where do you need somebody in student? How can I influence students for the kingdom of God? Just show me what's the first step. Ask Zach, what do you need? How do you, where do you need help in the production ministry? How, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Sign up for our new mentoring program with 8th Road Elementary. We've got over 10 people signed up right now. Sign up for that. I, 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 I want to sign up. I, I went um, uh, this past Monday and I met my little guy. If you're in the mentoring, I met my little guy on Monday, and we played Candyland, and he cheated the whole time, <laughs> and won, and we talked about all kind of things, great little first grader, we, sp we spent time, you know how that moment happened? It happened because I responded to the email that Jennifer sent out and said, Sign, put, me, put me on the list, and then I went and I filled out the online application through the school system. And then I did the background check, and then I got paired with a little kid. It was taking one step and another step, and I don't know where this will go. I don't know if he's going to like me, right? I don't know if it's going to go well. I don't know if I'm going to be good for this little kid. I have no idea. What I know is I was supposed to do that, and so I went and got a tree. And I said, I'm going, to, I'm going to take the first step. Some of us just need to take some first steps. We, we just need to say yes to some simple things. 
I tell my wife I wasn't going to say this again. That's her. Um, I struggle with us telling our young people that they're going to be world changers. This is me personally. It's not in the Bible. This is me personally. I struggle with telling young people they're going to be world changers. And I know why we do it. We want to encourage them and let them know we believe in them. I struggle with it because if we mean that literally, it's impossible. I think I can make a really good argument. No one has ever literally changed the world for every single human being on the planet. I mean, if we want to argue about maybe a handful, but even that, I, I, I don't think anybody's ever changed the whole wide world for every single person. So we're using an exaggerated phrase, and I'm okay with that. I, I mean, I understand that. But I have had lunches, not a lot, I've had enough. I've ha- I have had lunches with 20 and 21-year-olds who have been told their whole life they were going to be world changers, and they are paralyzed that they're never going to be able to figure out how to do it. I don't know. I, I, I think I'm supposed to change the world, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what, I don't know what the thing is. God hadn't told me what the thing is. I don't know what to, to create so that I can change the world because I'm supposed to change the world. And I let them talk, and I'm pretty much done with my meal by the time they finish. And I say, well, maybe you should go to college. I mean, until you figure everything out, maybe, you know, work towards, I I can't go to college because my heart's just not in that. Like, my heart is in changing the world, and... And if God shows me how to change the world while I'm in college, then i got to drop out of college. And I don't know. I'm afraid it's going to show up on my front doorstep when I'm in my second semester. And then, okay, maybe you should get a job. I can't get a job because then God might tell me the thing. And then I have to quit my job and go do the thing. I'm coming from the the point of trying to communicate. Sometimes we act as if the things we do for the kingdom are only important if there's some big, huge, out-of-this-world thing. Like if you don't get noticed and have a platform and you aren't insta-famous and you don't make it into the big churches and you don't get on the conference things and, and, and people aren't talking about you, then... Well, maybe we should be encouraging our our young people and our kids. Why don't you find just one tree and start chopping it up and find out if that's what God wants you to do. And if God turns it into some big, huge thing, great. That's awesome. But you don't have to be paralyzed with this fear that you're not going to find this big thing. It, It might be okay. If you honored God with your life and like just were really committed to Him and you faithfully attended a church that nobody's ever heard of and you served in a ministry and nobody really knew about that ministry outside of your county, that might be okay if you did. If you got married and you were a godly husband and you raised a godly family and God plugs you into 
working with youth or foster care. Or God put you in a spot and you didn't get famous doing it. You just lived for God and you were, you were a godly person. God might be okay with that. Students, God, God might be okay if you just get a tree and you start working with that tree until God tells you what to do next. And maybe, don't, maybe leave all the big stuff to God. Maybe leave all the platform to God. God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get a tree. I want you to start working. He continues. You expected much. This is verse 9. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. This is a part of the story we don't like to talk about. This is an aspect of God we don't like to talk about, but it's in this story, so I'm going to talk about it. God says clearly, you weren't doing what I asked you to do. So God frustrated all of the other work they were doing. It didn't yield what it should. It didn't produce what they wanted it to produce. There was no joy in them. There was no, there was no energy. There was no excitement. You kept working on this stuff that I didn't call you to work on. You, you kept working on your own pleasure, your own goals, your own riches and wealth and fame. Like you were all into that. God says, I blew it away. That was me, God says. I blew it away. I did not let you become successful at that because you were doing the wrong thing. And I wanted you to get over here. Now, is every frustration that we experience coming from God, is God frustrating us every time? Of course not. But God says very specifically to these people, you were trying to do your own thing. And you worked harder and harder. And I made it so that the money you kept earning did not bring you any pleasure at all. You kept planting and planting. And I frustrated the results of your planting. Because that's not what you were supposed to be doing. God, I would say out of his love, is trying to move them towards what he wants for their life. And one of his tactics in this case was to not allow them to be satisfied with all of the other things they were pursuing instead of Him. So ultimately, they turn to Him. Ultimately, they say, yes, we're going to get back on this project. This is what happens in verse 12. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I'm with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people, they came and began to work in the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So they turn away from what they'd been pursuing, their own pleasures and comfort and goals, and they turn to pursuing what God wanted for them, and God says, I'm with you. Now I'm with you. I'm here. I'm with you. Let's go. And not only am I with you, the Bible says God stirred up their hearts. 
starting with Zerubbabel, the political leader, then Joshua, the religious leader, and then the entire people, it says. God stirred up their hearts when they got their focus right, when they got their priorities right. Some of us know what this is like because we knew God was calling us to do something, maybe a simple something. Maybe start something, maybe lead something, maybe just be a part of something. God was calling us to do something, and we kept saying no, 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 no. And finally, one day we gave in, and we said yes, and immediately something happened in our heart. This joy, this energy sprang up in our heart that hadn't been there because we'd been going the other direction. As soon as we turned to do what God wanted us to do, God stirred up our heart. God gave us new energy. That's what God does. God stirs up our spirit as we're faithful to do the work. God stirs up our spirit. He gives us new energy, new excitement. When we begin to walk towards what He's called us to, but the timing is important. The spirit of the people was stirred up after they got to work. After they said yes, after they went and got the tree and brought it back, then their hearts were stirred up. They said, yes, we're, we're finally doing what we're supposed to do. We're, we're honoring God. We're being faithful to God. The, the joy and the energy and the excitement came after they got, got back to work. Our hearts don't get stirred up sitting on the sidelines of kingdom work. They just don't. They don't really get stirred up listening to stories of other people who serve. It's very fleeting. Oh, that's great what they're doing. But if you want your heart stirred up, you got to do something. You've got to say yes. You've got to start in the direction that God wants for you. Our hearts don't get stirred up by just watching other people work. Our hearts definitely don't get stirred up by criticizing everybody else who's working. Our heart gets stirred up when we say yes to what God is calling us to, that renewed energy and excitement begins to happen in our hearts. Now, from chapter 1 to chapter 2, two months have gone by. They've been working. They said yes. They've been working Get their trees for two months. And after two months, there's some new discouragement. And and I have to say, it it would be easy to be critical of the people. Like, you've only been working for two months, you're already discouraged here. What is going on? But I think I think the honest answer when you look at their situation is that discouragement tends to run in cycles. Let's not pretend that when we say yes to God, everything's easy and perfect and wonderful. Like discouragement has a way of creeping back in. Discouragement just kind of peeks its head up every once in a while. And you go through a season of time when your heart's stirred up and there's joy and there's energy and excitement and you're you're all in and you're ready to go. And then you, you walk through seasons where... Things are kind of hard and and you're facing challenges and you start to get discouraged and then God brings you through that cycle as well, back to joy and energy. Discouragement tends to run in cycles and what happens is 
You can either ignore that, especially if you're the leader, leadership lesson here. You can either ignore that or you can put your finger on it and say, look, I know this is there. Right? So sometimes the leader needs to identify the discouragement and just bring it out in the open. I know some of you are feeling this. I know we're all beginning to feel. You can't do that all the time. Right? So some people are negative and critical, and you would spend your entire life doing that for some people. But there are times when the leader has to step up and say, I know we're all feeling a little blah. I know we're all feeling discouraged. I know that this has happened and it's gotten some of us down. Haggai realizes this is the moment where I need to acknowledge what everybody else is feeling. And this is what he says. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Among some of the people, there was a persistent discouragement, and it was this. Some of them remembered what Solomon's temple looked like. And Solomon's temple was big and grand and massive and expensive. It had all the bells and whistles. Solomon's temple was impressive. And they work on this new temple about two months. And they get their trees and they, they work with their logs. And they get more logs and they chop them up. And, they work. and about two months in, the people who remember Solomon's temple go, this is not going to look like that one did. This... This is nowhere near as big as that one was. This does not have the ornate, impressive look to it that, that the old one did. You see, some of the ones who were working now, were, they were probably kids at that time. This has been many years. So they were children, they were teenagers, maybe a few of them were young adults. But they vividly remember going to the temple and what it looked like. And two months into this project, they're, they're realizing this is not, not going to be the same. And all of them had heard stories from their parents and grandparents. And so Haggai just acknowledges it. I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are comparing this temple to the old temple. And just be honest with me. In your mind, you're saying, well, well, this one's nothing. This one's not as good as that one. Here, here's God's project management strategy number two. Take the first step as number one. Number two, don't compare. Don't compare to the way things used to be. When God's given you work right in front of you to do now, stop comparing. It's going to suck all of the energy, all of the joy out of your life. Stop thinking about, well, when I was at this other place, when I was with this different organization, when I was at this last job, when I was back there. Stop comparing to the way things used to be, because that's discouraging. It's discouraging. Again, practical example. If, you, if you've tried to get in shape, um, if you're a runner, and you build up your mile, like you, you, you're just nailing five miles every day. You're sprinting five miles. Like it's nothing. You're, you, you, 
not even breathing hard at the end. It's just nothing to walk out, run five miles, and then you go through six months where you, you can't run like you want to. Or you have an injury and, you, and you're having to wait for the injury to heal. Anybody know what that first run back is like? Because you remember five miles was nothing. And about a half mile in, when you haven't run in six miles and you're dry heaving on the curb, right? <gasps> I used to run so much faster. <gasps> That's discouraging. You, 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 know, you used to pick up 100 pounds and now you can't get 50 pounds off the floor. The scale is the worst, is it not? I weigh this. I used to weigh, I used to wear a size, and now I'm shopping in the, sometimes when we compare now to then, it's discouraging and defeating, but here's the thing, God's not working in the then anymore, God's working in now, God wants to use you now. And God is not comparing now to what used to be. Our problem in comparison, in, in, in comparing and comparison, is that we keep thinking about what used to be, so we never get started with what could be. We keep thinking about the way it used to be, when it was so much better. And because we're thinking so much about the way it used to be, we don't ever get started with what could be. Or, maybe you don't compare it to your past. Maybe you start comparing it to other people. Well, their organization's bigger than mine. Well, they have more followers. Well, they have more people. Well, he got to do this podcast, and, and they got to do this, and he was on this conference day, and, and these people all know about them, and their thing blew up, and it became this big old thing. And it's worse today because of the internet, right? used to be you only had to compare yourself to the people you knew. People that probably lived close to you. Were they in your, you just compared yourself to the people you knew. You can compare yourself to people you don't know. You can compare yourself to total strangers now. You can compare, compare yourself to somebody in California thanks to the internet. And Haggai acknowledges this. He says, look, I know what some of you are thinking. But I just want to remind you Comparing is going to kill the joy and the energy that God wants to give you. Right? Comparison steals the joy and the energy from your calling. Com comparing what somebody else is doing or even what you used to do is stealing the energy from what God's told you to do right now. So stop comparing, God says. And then he follows it up with this in verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. God says, listen, listen, listen. I know you're looking and you're comparing. I want you to know I'm the same God. And I'll shake heaven and earth if I want to. 
The gold's mine. The silver's mine. I have all the resources. Would you stop looking at what everybody else is doing and what you used to do? Because I want to bring glory to what I'm asking you to do right now. Right in front of you. God's project management strategy. Take the first step. Stop comparing. And expect a great work of God in what's right in front of you. What God's doing in you right now. In order to do that, you guys take the first step. You got a Lincoln log when you came in. Anybody remember playing with Lincoln logs? Right? Some of you have small kids. Played with them yesterday. Stepped on them this morning. Right? That's fun. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put this somewhere where you'll see it tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. And I want it to remind you that God's calling on your life for tomorrow is not some big thing. Not some big, huge thing. God's calling on your life tomorrow is not to try to measure up to somewhere you were in the past or measure up to somebody else that you see on the internet or somebody else that you know. God's calling on your life tomorrow is to go get a tree. Wherever God's put you, whatever God's called you to, and start working. Expecting that the glory of God can come in the thing that you're doing right now. One log at a time. One tree at a time. One step at a time. Because of what God is calling you to do. Let's pray. God, thank you for a voice from 2,500 years ago who rattles us a little bit. And in that reminds us that yeah, dreaming is great and, and brainstorming is fine and organizing can be good. But at some point we got to step. We got to go to the woods, we got to cut down a tree and we got to get to work. We've got to move forward with what God has put on our heart, not comparing it to anything else. Just daily, faithfully, honoring you and what you've put on our heart. And if you turn it into something big, great. That's your business. If you turn it into something incredible, great. If people find out about it, fine. But our calling is not to get discovered. Our calling is to go cut down a tree and bring it back to town and start working, knowing that in the simple, daily faithfulness, our heart will get stirred up by you. The joy will come. The energy will come. And sure, there will be some discouragement along the way. But we're going to keep chopping. And we're going to keep working. And we're going to keep chopping. And we're going to keep working for the kingdom. 
that the glory of this present day and this present work would be greater than the glory that came before. I pray it in Jesus' name.